This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Father, in Jesus' name, we just pray for uh, illumination of your word today. We pray for an ability to see things that we maybe never have seen before and comprehend the impact of them with other places in Scripture. And for that, we say thank you in Jesus' name. All right, here's a question. The message is called Wild About Worship, but, and some of you may think that that, that we're a little too wild about worship, but we're going to talk about that today. The question is this. Does it matter in terms of expressiveness, the things that are used, components inside of a worship service, does it matter how one worships as long as you're sincere? See, most of us have been to to many churches other than this, or at least you've seen them. Maybe you've been there for a wedding, maybe a funeral, maybe you were brought up in the church and then were away for a while, and your recollection maybe of church life is, is fairly quiet. Don't make a sound. Don't disrupt anything. Especially if you're a child, you're always told to shh, you know, or whatever. Maybe you were taken out, which was your objective anyway, but... And some of you, um, this kind of worship, the way we do things is, is, is a little bit unique because uh, you think, wow, this is kind of strange. Uh, there are some people who raise their hands, some people clap or try to. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. I think we're just terrible as a clapping church. I'm a music major undergrad, so I can say that. Um, where you hear people exclaim, holler out something every now and then, an exclamation of praise, um, all kinds of things like that. And you think, oh, man, this place is wild. I just, this is a little wild, a little weird, a little different, not sure about it. And then there are some of you others who have been in some other places, and you go, this is one tame place. People who talk about the word wild have no idea what they're talking about. And those of you who just heard that say, man, I don't want to go to those places because if, if this is tame, I don't want to. So the point, the question is this, does it really matter how one works or is it just preference? You know, a lot of churches these days um, have adopted a contemporary service. And so instead of just the piano or just the organ or the piano and the organ, uh, they have a few guitars and some singers and a drum and, and those kind of things, contemporary worship. Do we do contemporary worship to be contemporary, or is there something more to it, is the real question, which we're going to look at and answer this morning. So, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look through uh, several passages of Scripture, and we have to go through these very quickly because of the time span. And um, I'm also going to apologize in advance for something. When I, as I've been working at this over time, my understanding of praise and worship and the power of it. For some reason, uh, I've used this alliteration of P's. So there are a lot of statements and summary statements and principles that I've just characterized with uh, words that start with P. And so it's alliteration, lots of P's. And, um, you know, when you were like 30 years ago in seminary, no, 40 years ago, because I was in 
so many, 30 years ago. Uh, 50 years ago, you sometimes were taught that all your points had to start with the same letter, or that was cute and cool. And I've not done this on purpose this morning. Uh, and you might go, when you run into some of it, but it just, I was on a roll and it worked. And um, perhaps it'll be memorable, but, but later in the message, you'll see what I mean. All right. In this first passage of scripture in the Old Testament, King David, uh, he had, was promised, he wasn't king yet, he was promised he was going to be king. There was a wild, huge, long years of difference between when he was promised he was going to be king and when he became, when he was anointed king. And many times during this long period of time, it looked like there was no chance Whoever said that word, Samuel, that this is ever going to be true, and that clearly wasn't from God, that I'm going to be king. Uh, He got brought through a series of events into the King Saul's palace, uh, and uh, Saul elevated him. David became very popular among the people, so popular, uh, Saul became jealous, ran him out of town, and actually spent years and years chasing him and, and numbers of people who joined him. And so uh, his life was under threat. They were living in the hinterlands of uh, the area, in caves, lots of times being pursued directly, sometimes periods of time when uh, Saul was distracted with other things. But a big band of people had gathered around him with their children, their families, um, all their possessions, uh, but they didn't really have a place to be. That was their own. In, in this passage of scripture we're going to look at in 1 Samuel 30, uh, just before this, David has befriended King Asish of uh, the Philistines. And um, uh, the king likes him, and there's all kinds of reasons for that, but signs him a place to live and says, here, you have the city of Ziklag, this is for you and all of your people. And so David goes there, takes his family, uh, all his fighting men's families, their herds, everything that accumulated by this time, and they set up residence. And then David uh, gets bored for some reason, and uh, he and his men being fighting people that they were, they decided, hey, uh, I heard the Philistines are going to go to war with somebody. Let's go join them. We'll have something to do. And so they go and they leave their people, and when they come back, Here's what they find. 1 Samuel 30, uh, starting with verse 3. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Okay, that, that, that took us four seconds to read that. There's a heck of a lot of stuff in there. If you're a human being. You leave your house, you take off, you go somewhere, you come back. Lo and behold, everything you own clearly has been taken, including all of your family. Every one of your friends have come back to discover the very same thing about their house, their family, their stuff. See, we read through scripture and we read, you know, uh, this verse takes 1.2 seconds. This uh, passage takes 45 seconds. This uh, takes about two and a half minutes for this chapter. And we just fly past these things and forget, this is old stuff, you know, old people. Happened a long time ago, way back somewhere else. And, And it doesn't really relate to me. I don't really get, well, hey, they're human beings. 
Most of us can somewhat comprehend real emotions in the midst of someone took all of my stuff. So we jump ahead. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Question, how long does it take for someone to weep until they have no strength left to weep? A while, huh? Not just the .8 seconds that it took us to read that. So David and his men, I mean, they're just in really quite a place. Utterly destroyed and discouraged. Now it gets worse before it gets better. David was greatly distressed. The Bible is a master of understatement sometimes. Uh, David was greatly distressed because the men were thinking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. Hey, it was your idea we go fight this mess. This wasn't even our battle. We went, we came back, and look what's happened. You were the idiot who had this idea. Most of us know what it's like to feel alone in the midst of something. Maybe not as tumultuous as this kind of dynamic, but, but in the midst of things. Even when other people around to feel alone, abandoned, without, what do I do? But David found, this is the New International Version, found strength in the Lord his God. You know, it's kind of like David was, uh, if, if you read this, New International Version, and in that language, it's like David was, you know, <laughs> and you can get it, he's out, he's got his head down, and man, oh man, and, and, and he, oh, oh, there it is. Uh, I was looking for you. It's strength. <laughs> I found it. <laughs> you know, just, just like it was in a happenstance thing. I was, wasn't even looking for it, but I found it. I just wandered across strength. Well, hallelujah, because I needed strength. But yet most versions uh, of Scripture in, in, in New International Version, uh, <laughs> I use the most. Uh, others use others. There's lots of reasons for that, but it's not a perfect translation. Even all translators of the Bible uh, run into the end of their human understanding and sometimes their biases show. So, so in this, we're going to see throughout the rest of the morning the correlation of praising the Lord and gaining strength and deliverance, acceptance from the Lord. But if you don't know that those things correlate, you end up with what the New International Version does and it says uh, something like, I'm trying to remember here, I don't have it written down. Um, Oh, yeah, but David found strength instead of strengthened himself. And in here, we're talking about strengthened himself. Most versions, Jewish scriptures and otherwise, the overwhelming majority uh, translate this passage, David strengthened himself. So there was something that he did. The question is, what? It's the key to all this. The question is, what? And so... The bottom line, however, is we're to talk about some of those what's, but the bottom line is this. Praise principles, we have the ability, and we're going to learn more about this, to in praise and worship strengthen ourselves. Praise principle number one. 
All right? David strengthened himself. And if you have other time and you want to, you can look at other versions and see how many overwhelmingly translated. David strengthened himself. He did something, and this was uh, borne out on the years of being um, a worshiping shepherd. We'll see a little more about that. Well, let's move to a, another passage of Scripture in First Chronicles. Still in the Old Testament, First Chronicles 20. Uh, the people of Israel, under a different king now, uh, were also besieged by a troubling situation, which described as this, First Chronicles uh, 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Muonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat and the people of God. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazanon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down to worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with very loud voice. All right, we read scripture and we miss so much. It says very loud voice. It doesn't say they just praise the Lord just nonchalantly, and then we just kind of went on. Okay, and there are a number of passages of scripture where it talks about praising the Lord with a very loud voice, with some exuberance, in other words. So anyway, point made. And consulting the people, Jehoshaphat had appointed men to the sing to the <clears throat> sing to the Lord to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out. At the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against those coming to fight against God's people, the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah. And they were all defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And then they finished, after they finished slaughtering uh, the men from Seir, they help to destroy one another. So just a, a wild story. Uh, but the military strategy was uh, one not taught anywhere in military prep school. It was uh, get together some people who could sing, set them out. They're going to lead the army out. The first people, nobody with uh, conventional weapons. And as you go, um, God will do his thing. And that's what God did here. Some amazing stuff. Not unlike when the people of Israel were entering into the promised land and uh, Joshua was leading them. And to uh, conquer Jericho, they put uh, a, a, a small detachment of men guarding the ark. But then after them was a bunch of trumpeters and then the army. And they marched around the city for seven days. One time, seven days in a row. And on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And then the blast, the musical blast of the trumpet then brought the walls down. So, the point is this. All kinds of things you can talk about there, but let's just sum it up this way. Praise is an offensive weapon. There's something about it that sets up the atmosphere and give God, gives God the go light. And he is willing to act in a way to move uh, your cause forward, assuming it's his cause too, but to move your cause forward in the midst of praise and worship. All right. 
Another passage of scripture, a great one, in Psalm 22.3. Among the things that's being said in this passage of scripture, uh, verse 3 says, Yet you, God, are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Yet you, God, are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Again, in the International Version, this says, You are... Um, you are enthroned as holy, is what it says. You are enthroned as holy. You are the praise of Israel. Quite a different thing. But again, if you look at the majority of translations, the translation is, is in this way. You, God, are holy. You are enthroned. You are elevated. You take up residence in a unique way in the midst of praise. Now, the scripture says God is with us always as Christians. He will never leave us, never forsake us. Yet there's something about when we uh, praise that, that, that invites his presence in a pronounced, discernible, knowable, detectable fashion. That doesn't happen any other way. You are enthroned on the praise. You take up residence. You step in in a way that cannot be missed in the praises of your people, says the passage. So the principle is this. Praise prepares a platform for the presence of God. So when we get together, we have uh, worship. We, you know, there's all kinds of ways to worship biblically. You can worship in your work. You can worship uh, in your walk with God. Um, so I acknowledge that. In the service dynamic, as we're together, we usually refer to this first portion of the service where we sing as praise and worship. And those terms can be used simultaneously. There's slight difference between them. It really doesn't matter. We are lifting God up. Why would we do that? It's not because someone realized, dang it, it's Sunday again. Jairus, we have 70 minutes of service to fill. If you don't take up some of it and fill it with some music, we'll have to listen to Pastor Rich forever. <laughs> Praise prepares a platform for the living presence of a dynamic God to step in and do things in our midst, whether we're aware of it happening at the moment or not, or not. Uh, that's why sometimes for some of you, the first time you came here, you then later told us that um, you don't know why, but all of a sudden you found tears running down your face because God is touching something there's a wound that you know it's somehow it's okay. I may not be all healed yet, but it's okay to be me. It's safe. I really am loved. There is a God who cares about me. You know, the presence of God can come if we were all singing out of dusty old hymnals. 
It's not about the dynamics themselves in worship. However, we have made a practice and a point to use things that are contemporary that the majority of people can identify with. The majority, we're all different. Styles of worship, styles of, of instrumentation, those kinds of things. But that's not what it's about. It's about the presence of God. Okay? All right. Uh, many of you know this, but Psalms really is, the book of Psalms is really the handbook of praise in all of the Bible. And the um, uh, majority of it being believed to have been written by King David. And so this is where he lived. This is, this is the evidence of all the things when he was a shepherd boy. Out in the shepherds, he became a musician as he sang the things that he learned and wrote down, the principles. And so he says in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Praise the Lord. Same word, same meaning. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Come on, come on. Talk to myself. Come on, praise the Lord. Because God inhabits. He comes in the midst of the praise of his people. So, uh, in Psalms, um, the number of times this, the phrase, strict phrase, praise the Lord appears is 51. The number of times praise the Lord either starts or ends a chapter is 16 times. The number of times the phrase praise the Lord uh, starts and ends a chapter is 11 times. And there are 26 other times that either at the beginning or the end of a chapter, there is some other exclamation of praise like, I will exalt you, O Lord. Sing joyfully to the Lord. I will extol the Lord at all times. Praise to the Lord. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. This wasn't an accident. David found strength because he strengthened himself. Because he used the principle God had taught him for years and that he had cultivated for years. And so when you get to Psalm 149 and 150, the end of the book of Psalms, you, you reach really kind of the pinnacle of everything David knows. If you, uh, perhaps you could say that the summation of all of the power and the, the impact of praise and worship. Because in Psalm 149 and 150, um, are just powerful. We're going to look at 149 real quickly. Psalm 149. And here is what we find what David records. Sorry, I just jumped too far ahead. Praise the Lord. It's one of the Psalms where it starts, both starts and ends with praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly and the gathering of his saints. Let Israel, people of God, rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. The humble. Those who humble themselves before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord and I will lift you up, says the Lord. Those who humble themselves put God first. Elevate him, raise him, praise him. And he crowns the humble with salvation. Salvation in this context means deliverance. 
Not salvation and going to heaven, but it means deliverance, this uh, uh, Hebrew word. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor, in this opportunity, in this benefit, and sing for joy on their beds. Now it gets a little dicey for many of us. May the praise of God be in their mouths and the double-edged sword in their hands. Double-edged sword, a sword for fighting, uh, but in the New Testament, when that's no longer God's ways, we no longer go fight our enemies and kill them. (laughs) You don't do that, do you? Everyone's kind of looking. May praise... Maybe the praise of God be in your mouths and a double-edged sword now referencing the word of God uh, in their hands to do what? Why? To inflict vengeance on the nations, punishment on the peoples, and to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles uh, with shackles of iron to carry out the sentence written against them by God. We don't write the sentence. We'd like to write the sentence. We'd like to carry out the sentence. We'd at least like to see the sentence carried out. But it's God's. He writes the sentence. This is the glory of all his people, his faithful people. Praise the Lord. The principle is this. God says to his people, you bring the praise. I'll bring the release. You bring the praise. I bring the release. You bring the praise. I bring the release. Now, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to. And sometimes we have to wait a long time before we see or feel deliverance. Sometimes the situation changes and those constraining us or, 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 or working against us in some fashion or, um, uh, will be changed and that situation will turn. Sometimes it'll be us that gets changed. And, and our worry, our heaviness about it all will dissipate and will, oh, this isn't really all that big of a deal anyway. But there's release. There's a change in the dynamic. And David says, you bring the praise, whatever the situation, and leave it to God. The battle is not yours. It is his. And he will, in his time, in his way, bring the release. Now, that's great, Wayne. That's all Old Testament stuff. But what about the New Testament? We don't have time to go through a lot of the New Testament. But one passage that most of us are very familiar with very quickly, Acts 16, about midnight, 25, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. They were thrown in jail because they were preaching about Jesus. And they were told not to, and they didn't stop. So into jail they went. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake. By the way, we went real fast. Did you catch what was said? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped but Paul shouted do not harm yourself we are all here the jailer called for lights rushed in fell trembling for Paul and Silas and then brought them out and asked sirs what must I do to be saved it was a twofer <laughs> the chains fell off and someone got released spiritually as well The principle is praise opens prison doors. 
All of us have stuff that's bondages and stuff holding us back, habits, addictions. Some of these take a long period of time to overcome. Sometimes we need other help from, from uh, medical people or counselors. All truth is God's truth, by the way. All, tr- all truth is God's truth. Whether the people using the truth, the medication, the, the counseling principles know it or not, all truth is God's truth. So however he wants to release you, Praise opens prison doors. Now I just listed uh, five principles. I'm going to just, just by way of summation, I'm going to uh, say some of the same things just a little differently. So the summation is this. Praise is the pathway to the presence of God. The presence of God is a power like no other. That's what we're after. So if you praise little, you'll be revived little. You praise much, you'll be revived much. Your power in a very real way is proportional to your praise. I mean, your power in terms of your overcoming power, your sustaining power, your ability to move forward, your ability to take ground, your ability not to be stuck where you are. It's God's power ultimately. Let's stand. So the question is, does it really matter how one worships? Yeah, <laughs> it does. There are benefits that many of us who've been raised in very traditional churches uh, have assumed to be the right way to be in the presence of God. And yet the scripture says some very different things. So I'm just asking you this morning, would you Remember like Rich spoke last week? One of the things he said was that for most of us, we encounter truth in scripture, we have two options. We can either downgrade our theology. Well, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm not comfortable with that. So I I throw that one away. We can downgrade our theology or we can upgrade our experience. But what if I'm shy and I, you know, I don't really want to sing. <laughs> what if I don't want to worship, you know, raise my hands? And what if I don't know how to clap? And by the way, we are, hopefully, we'll get an upgrade in clapping, God. What if I'm a man? God inhabits the praise of his people. Of his male people. So I'm just going to ask, would you consider, we're going we're gonna to spend just a little time worshiping in one song, a little more extended than we normally do at the end of a service. Uh, would you consider, maybe I can just lean in just a little bit more. Maybe I can vest myself a little bit more than I normally do. Maybe I could be just a little bit more wild about worship. <laughs>